Welcome to Life of the School, episode 121. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. On Life of School podcast, I like to sit down with a group of fellow life science teachers and ask them, What's going on in their classroom? What are they working on? What are their hopes for the future? On this episode, we talk about how things are changing in our individual professional practice. And so we're going to introduce ourselves with our uh, very summer loaded, our, um, I don't know what we're calling it, sloth summer yet, uh, <laughs> but our loaded summer question of, of uh, what is the frivolous piece of media that you're looking forward to enjoying this summer? And joining us from Arizona is Tanea Hibbler. Welcome, Tanea. What are you looking forward to enjoying this summer? Yeah, I, I, I'm not really looking forward to anything <laughs> at the moment because I'm thinking about planning for summer school, um, but... I'm probably going to be watching like Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe origin story with my kids. A lot of like uh, kung fu sword fighting, motorcycles and cars flipping in that movie. <laughs> or maybe like I think Space Jams comes out um, soon. I think that'll be fun. Um, and I think Little Nas X, his new uh, video just, you know, got released. So I'll watch that a few times All with right. my son. So I'll, I'll, all fitting the category 100%. All right. Uh, also joining us, uh, but from Texas, Lee Ferguson. Hi, Lee. What are you looking forward to? Hello. So I'm going to rewatch Mad Men <laughs> because it is an amazing series and there's just so much to unpack. But I, th- I think I'm going to finish ro- watching um, Cobra Kai. Like I started that yeah. last oh, spring like and I've watched one. a little bit off and on, off and on, off and on. Because it just for me, it's not bingeable, but it's worth watching. I need to finish it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big um, I'm a big uh, I forget what the phrase is. It's a um, it's like reward bundling or something like that. So I'm a big person who mm-hmm. like who I uh, I treadmill and will binge a series as mm-hmm. I treadmill. So that's like a big thing. So like ah. for example, I just finished. Um, I, I I know it came out a little while ago, but I just finished the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, that was like last week's treadmill workout thing. So I run outside, but I will also do that. And so I'll watch like one episode or one in a little more than episodes. And then I, well, I've already started the episode, so I might as well sit down and watch the rest on the couch um, after I'm done. So that was only, <laughs> that was only six episodes, but um, back, I want to say in April, I did, I did the whole Cobra Kai series. Um, nice. Yeah. So it was good. I, I enjoyed it. It was, I don't know if it was good or just nostalgic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's and that's how I kind of feel about it because I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is like super good TV or if it's just because I'm trying to cling to my adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's like stuff from my adolescence. Yeah, I actually fundamentally don't think it matters, but I I don't know that it's good, but it definitely is nostalgic. So I yeah. you I I'm 100 on board on that. So um, Ryan, uh, unfortunately, Ryan Laxon again cannot come with us, but he did his homework. So I want to give Ryan 100% his credit. Um, I do have my <laughs> fingers crossed that maybe he'll pop in here, uh, but he's looking forward to the Friends reunion. So we should just make fun of him for that. Um, I don't know if we should. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a confession. Yeah. I have not once seen an episode of Friends. How have you not? Wow. Oh, I, I'm, I've never seen an episode of Friends. The concept of the show just never appealed to me. Yep. I mean. But like, sit down and watch. 
like one they were not relatable to me. <laughs> you know, I'm like this is not realistic. <laughs> you know, and so it just was never it was never very interesting to me. Yeah. You know? I, I, I mean, Seinfeld wasn't interesting to me either, but I have seen a couple of episodes. <laughs> you know, the episode where um Costanza's fiance dies from licking the the <laughs> wedding invitation envelopes. I did see that one. And I did see the episode where Kramer lived above the Kenny Rogers chicken and, and got like addicted to the Kenny Rogers chicken. Yep. Like I saw those two episodes of Seinfeld, but that's it. That's all I've seen. That's that's very yeah. strange. I like I I mean yeah, we are we yeah, are of a fun. we are of a generation that I I find it like, you know, I find it hard to believe that you, that, you, that you didn't see more friends than that just because of the generation. Yeah, like and, I literally have never watched an episode. Because hmm. didn't it used to come on? It came on Thursday nights, right? Yeah. Like, if I remember correctly. But then ER came on right afterwards, Yeah, if I remember correctly. And when I was in college, that was our thing. Like, my friend group, that was our thing. We would study, and then we'd watch ER, Yeah, right? It wasn't, let's study and then watch Friends. No, it was, let's study and then watch ER because we all wanted – to date Dr. Ross and we all wanted to be Juliana Margulies <laughs> or Noah Wiley. We also yeah. wanted to date him too. Yeah. So, so I'm trying to, th- I think my freshman year of college was like the last episode of cheers was on my freshman year of college. And I think I, I feel, I remember being in a dorm grouping together with people to watch that. So man, was it, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. just old. This is just me being old today. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's why, I, that's why I find it hard to believe because to me, like that's a, cause like Thursday night, I'm sure I didn't watch all the episodes. Cause I remember during college going out and doing, mm-hmm. you know, various things, but I, I was surprised how many seasons friends went on, but friends is definitely one of those mm-hmm. series that I remember watching with my wife, the, the last few seasons of them going, these just aren't any good anymore, are they? They're like, nope, these aren't any good. But we we're committed. We're watching these, so we're just gonna watch the rest of them. We do that with series, like we're like, yeah, they should have stopped three years ago, but oh well. Um, yes. But there was a core of Friends. I will say that Friends is definitely a, a, a series that it probably was seasons. Season one was okay. It was a little up and down. They they sort of established the characters, but there is. I bet you that if you were to watch seasons like like three through six of friends. Mm -hmm. They are very funny. It's, it's like it, they, they definitely hit their stride. That was the best series on television. Everybody loved it. There, Mm -hmm. there were legitimately funny things about it um, during those episodes. Uh, With that said, they probably had more episodes that weren't good than there were good, but um, I've seen the clips Mm -hmm. of the friends reunion and man, I just like, Ooh, these people are old, especially those men. These men did not, these men did not age well. (laughs) And as not a, age well, and, no. and and not to toot my own horn, but but you know how old I actually am. I'm aging pretty darn well. Like, like you, these, these men are in Hollywood. Yeah, I was like, say. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. They be, have money yeah. to look good. They have money to look as good as you, and they don't. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not. I'm not you saying. Know, I'm, I'm not mean... saying I'm that good. I just don't look that old. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say, but also to be fair, let, let's look at Matthew Perry, right? That dude has had some hard living. Oh yeah, I mean, coke is a hell of a drug. Yeah, <laughs> that dude has lived some hard life. He's lived a hard life. Yeah, He's, yeah, yeah. They've at they, least they, that they, way anyway. They've definitely lived hard. Um, <laughs> all right. Yes. Well, the thing I am looking forward to, and so I now now that I have uh, trashed other people's work, um, uh, the stupid thing that I enjoy. <laughs> 
is uh, the Fast and Furious series. And I am super, like, honestly, of like all the things that happened last spring, it's like the pandemic. And it's like, and we don't get Fast 9 for another year. Um, <laughs> because I will... <laughs> Because I will tell you, no, I I watched. Yeah, well, you're right there with the the GI Joe. I will tell you, one of my favorite things I did in the summer of 2019 was going out with two of my buddies and in the theater watching Hobbs and Shaw, Fast and Furious present Hobbs and Shaw in the theater and laughing laughing hysterically through that action movie the stupidity of that action movie they are so stupidly funny and entertaining they're just purely entertaining they are dumb 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 but i really enjoy them and i also listen to a podcast called how did this get made which is a a bad movie podcast and they do all the fast movies they started with fast (laughs) five and they've done fast five you know, all the way up, including Hobbs and Shaw. And now they're doing this. And so I like, I can't wait to listen to these guys. They always bring in Adam Scott uh, as well. Um, uh, I love Adam Scott as well. And he is sort of their fast and furious expert. I don't know why they became him, but he was on their fast five episode and they always watch them and they just fanboy out on these episodes. It's the one series that they're, they're bad movie. They're like, we're not talking about bad movies. They just fanboy out, but they also talk about the ridiculousness of them. Um, And so, I am totally looking to forward to like quips from Helen Mirren and Jason Statham, who's got to be like 75 years old now. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 and Vin Diesel saying like, I am Groot or whatever words he says as like, oh, I am Groot. Is that uh, why they like, had, is that why they had Beck Bennett making fun of Vin Diesel last night on Saturday Night Live? Yeah. He's just, he doesn't like, and the funny thing is you watch the behind the scene things and he's like laughing and light and having a grand old time. And then he's on stage and he's like, like, like it's all an act. It's like, he's having a ball making these movies and he comes, emotes not a bit on those movies. That's his character. In a, it's so funny and john cena is going to be in this one it's going to be so stupidly entertaining i like it is there's nothing that says summer more than me more to me than a fast and furious 200 million dollar movie that makes a billion that makes a billion dollars in three weeks and so like (laughs) i am i am i am happy to shell over my money to watch two and a half hours stupidity (laughs) wait oh here's but here's the question are you gonna go? To I the am movie going theater? to go to the movie. I have I have now turned the corner. Vaccines work. Doctor Walensky told me that my masks don't aren't necessary. I am gonna go. I am gonna go and drink a beer. It'll probably be a Corona, and I am going to enjoy <laughs> that stupid movie in the theater with my bros. I am gonna bro down this summer, and like I am gonna be totally out of character for anybody who knows me. Wait, 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 wait. Your wife's not oh, going my wife with hates you? those movies. <laughs> Your kid? No, my kids. Are... Like my whole, I gotta say, I, my whole family has to come with me. Like my, we would have a fight if I went and saw oh, that no, movie. My, nobody in my house without my like, my. If it's no? PG thirteen, my 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 fourteen year old, my soon to be fourteen year old would enjoy that movie. Um, my eighteen year old would care could not care less about those movies and my wife could not care less about those movies like she would go to it so that she would know what's going on the podcast because she enjoys that podcast but she has no interest in watching those movies but no i have a couple of buddies who went with me to see the um to to watch the hobbs and shaw and we had a grand old time in a mostly empty theater at like four o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) on like a tuesday (laughs) and we will do the same thing this summer uh (laughs) It'll be a it'll be a lovely time. So, all right. So, uh, 
Wait, 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 one question. When did the first movie come out? Uh, A long time ago. I looked it up recently. It was like 2001, maybe? A really long time ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the other funny fact about that, and I heard this just the other day. So um, you've seen Lethal Weapon, where Danny Glover says... I'm too old. Yeah, I'm too old for this bleep. You know, like, yeah, like he says that in there. So when Danny Glover was saying, I'm too old for this, he was 40 years old. Vin Diesel is 53 (laughs) and still churning out these Fast and Furious movies. He is 13 years older than Murtaugh. (laughs) Yeah, these movies are stupid. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, my dad went to jail with Danny Glover. Really? Protesting? For real? Yeah, back when they were they were fighting for like yeah. the um, Black Studies Department, they were, you know the strike at San Francisco State. As soon as you said that, I was like, "Oh, that's right, your dad." Because I remember when you dropped that line on me. Because I I had I had recently when you had said that, I had just recently listened to um, a, a podcast that was all about the San Francisco uh, State uh, 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 protests. Um, and I, so like you said that and dropped that, I was like, Whoa, your dad, your dad did what? Um, and I remember that. And I remember that Danny Glover was part of that. So yeah, no, that makes total sense. So cool. That's a, that's a cool component. All right. Well, we have totally wasted the first 10 minutes of this podcast, but, uh, <laughs> if anybody's still listening, <laughs> our theme for this episode is, uh, things are changing. So, uh, for, for me, um, as we have, uh, done this. We've come to uh, the end of an epic school year, which I think none of us will ever forget. Um, but as we've been coming to this end of this year, we've been all coming to grips with the fact that a lot of stuff is is changing. And, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, Ryan had a, a family itu- situation come up uh, where, you know, he had to take care of some family stuff, which um, everything sounds like it's going okay, but could not join us for this recording. Um, and and, um, and Ryan's part of this. Um, and I, I was asking how people's professional life is going to change. Uh, and I totally messed our text thread up by dropping a cryptic line that apparently you two guys were not reading Facebook uh, when I dropped that cryptic line in. Uh, but uh, Ryan <laughs> Ryan is changing from his little rural Title I district of 480 students to uh, a district that has uh, 30,000 students. He's going to go teach five sections of just biology. He's going to be in a department with other biology teachers. Um, He's going to have 11 people in his biology department. He will not be the only biology teacher uh, or the only science teacher, rather. He's going to be one of many teachers. So uh, Ryan is is transitioning and having a huge change. Uh, But I want to hear what other changes folks are dealing with. And I think we've already heard this a little bit, uh, Tanea, what, what's going to change in your professional life, uh, in this upcoming year, Tanea? Uh, what are you dealing with? <laughs> so, yeah, as I think I've mentioned before, I am moving to China and uh, I've lived in China before, but, um, I'm moving to a different city. So I'm moving to Shenzhen this time. I'll be working at Avenues World School Shenzhen and, um, everything's going to be different. So I'll be teaching Chinese students, even though my kids will be at the school. So maybe I'll end up teaching my own son or, you know, my kids if I'm lucky. Um, but generally speaking, I'll be teaching Chinese students. I'll be doing a lot of project-based learning, maybe some mastery, um, helping students with mastery projects. And so I'll, obviously I'm going to be thinking a lot more about what is um, structured English immersion, what does that look like? How do you help students develop like content skills while you're um, also helping develop language skills? And um, so it's going to be 
I mean, like, I want to include all the modeling and as much as I can um, into whatever I do. Uh, but a lot of it's going to be new and it's going to be um, very collaborative. So I'll be working closely alongside the teachers who are teaching, you know, math or history as we help students develop their projects. We'll be doing a lot of um, professional development together to kind of make sure that we're supporting the students the way they need. Uh, I don't know what a lot of that's going to look like. This is the first year that the school is opening up their middle school and their high school. So it's everyone's going to be from like all these different countries, all these teachers coming to Shenzhen and a lot of us are going to be new there and we're going to be figuring things out. But I know there's kids there. They have students <laughs> that have registered. So that's good news. <laughs> the building, I know um, the building got built. Uh, mm -hmm. That's good news. Like the buildings are there in place. So the infrastructure is there. Um, and, the, and then the people who are running the school are um, working on getting our visas. And so I think everything's going to... Um, go really well um i'm i'm really i'm really really excited about the possibilities for um my growth but also um for the growth of the students that i'll be working with but also for my my two boys my sons um because they're going to be challenged in a lot of ways too but i think it's going to be positive for them so oh and it'll be interesting to try to work with the chinese government <laughs> so i don't want to get arrested when i go to china yeah. <laughs> but like you know, there's that justice piece of like education, right? You try to infuse justice um, into what you do, but then you got to make sure that you're working within the confines of the Chinese government. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Change, I think. Having to even think about yeah. that, what that looks like. Yeah. You are somebody who is uh, boldly comfortable with unknown and uncertainty. Uh, to do this, <laughs> uh, to be commended, uh, to be definitely commended. Cause there's the, I, the idea that I I'm trying to think of the idea. If I was to find like 50 biology teachers that I know and say, Hey, uh, you're going to start next year in China. How comfortable do you feel doing that? And I don't know that a lot of folks would feel, I mean, especially at the end of this year, that's been so uncertain and that sort of thing. Um, and I know your history and I know having, uh, how joyous you were when you taught overseas before. So I, I, I know there's a lot behind that, but uh, I commend you for for embracing this this change when uh, I think that there's a lot of people who would want to revert to comfort um, and uh, maybe a false sense of we want everything to go back to the way it was <laughs> before the pandemic. Uh, I, I appreciate you going boldly forward. So I'm, I'm excited to hear how it goes. I will make sure to update everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll have very asynchronous 12-hour uh, uh, skewed conversations over the next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. How about you, Lee? What, what's going on in your professional life? Because uh, you're, not, you're not moving halfway across the world, but what kind of things are no. changing in your upcoming school year? So, like, my teaching assignment's still the same. I mean, that part's not changing. Um, so I'm actually kind of glad for that stability, to be honest, after the, the rough start that I had to the year, um, with, you know, my team falling apart and all of that, I'm glad for a bit of stability, but, um, something that I'm taking on this year, which I'm really excited about, um, I was invited by a student at the end of the year to, um, participate in a committee that they've called the Intersectional Equity Committee at school because we're trying to really kind of examine 
you know, are the issues of DEI at my school, diversity, equity, and inclusivity. And, you know, and this is the first time that my school has really kind of taken this very seriously. And, um, and so I, I was asked by a student to participate in that, and I'm going to continue that work with a new group of students this next year. And so I'm really excited about continuing that work with them and just growing and learning more from them about what they need, you know, to feel like they belong, to feel like, you know, this is, this truly is a school where every kid can feel safe, can feel included, can feel, you know, valued. Um, and so I'm, I'm super, super duper excited about that because it, it, it marries, you know, my love of teaching with, you know, something that I've become incredibly passionate about over the last few years. And that is, you know, inclusivity and equity. And so I'm really excited about that and, and hoping that I can help my administration learn, Hey, (laughs) we need to do a better job of these things, you know, because we've got a, you know, we've got a population on campus that doesn't feel like you're doing a good job and we need to listen to these kids. You know, we really need to listen to these kids because if we're not here to fix this for them, then why are we here? You know, what are we doing? So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, I've applied to lead those workshops for College Board as well. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping I get to do that. We'll see. Yay. Yes. That's super exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, we had consultant training earlier this week and they were like, oh, and we've got this, you know, new workshop that we've been working on and we've piloted it with blah, 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 you know, with this many school systems in the country and, and all of this. And if you're interested in teaching it, you know, here's the application link. And so mm-hmm. the minute they put out the link, I was like, let me go fill that out real fast. <laughs> and then there was like a break in between, between that training and the next one. And I literally filled that application out, I think in six or seven minutes, it wasn't a long one. And there was even an essay. <laughs> And so I filled it out pretty quickly. So hopefully, mm. hopefully I'll get to start leading those types of trainings because I feel like, you know, for the longest time, I'm like, okay, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Right. I think I've figured out maybe where my calling is mm. <laughs> once I retire <laughs> is to maybe, you know, do some, you know, serve as a DEI officer in a school system or at a campus or something, you know, because I really think that that's something that schools are going to have to start taking very seriously if, if they want to be truly successful, you know, because we can't just cater to one portion of our population, you know, when there are so many that are being left behind or being made to feel like they're not valued, they're not safe, they're not heard, you know, and I don't want for that to happen. You know, that shouldn't happen at school. So yeah, it makes me think, makes me think of two things. Um, I think of, uh, I'm starting to lean towards the words rather than um, when you retire, uh, your next act, your second act, uh, your first act is teaching. Your se- the next adventure. Your second act is going to be whatever. Because um, <laughs> I have, I will similarly, I think, a good way to put it. I think I similarly am going to be at a place where I could see myself doing something after I leave the classroom for almost as long as I am in the classroom. Um, because technically, believe it or not, in 10 years, I kind of max out on my retirement. Mm. And um, as I have commented before, I don't look my age to begin with. And imagine what happens when I get this haircut and I shave this beard. I'm going to look like a little baby-faced <laughs> little baby boy. I'm not going to look like I, I, 
you're you're gonna be way too young yeah. to retire. <laughs> oh, and I'm gonna drive my wife absolutely bonkers because she's not gonna retire. She's a year and a half younger than me, and she's not gonna retire for ten more years. So if I don't find something to do, I'm gonna drive her crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, like, but do teachers actually ever really retire? Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. no, they yeah. don't. I mean, I don't know any educator who's truly retired yeah. from the classroom. <laughs> I have I have se- several people like our uh, you know the Godfather uh, out there in Colorado. Is he retired? As <laughs> no, oh God, no. Yeah. Mark is not retired. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or yeah, like I could list a, a laundry list of you know oh, the, yeah. the slow life of Brad Williamson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that dude is definitely not retired. <laughs> yeah. uh, but definitely not retired. But the the other thing that you thought about is is a thing that I have been turning over in my head as I've been thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, I am totally down with diversity. I am totally down with equity. I am having a hard time with the word inclusion in diversity, equity, inclusion. Because to me, um, to be included suggests that the space that we have, we need to bring people into the space that we have rather than transforming the space to be a space for all. And so I wonder if the phrase DEI is one that has longevity and legs beyond the moment we're in Mm. and whether or not the phrase inclusivity and inclusion is appropriate appropriate if we are truly grasping with diversity and equity. And I say that teaching in a space that has Mm -hmm. a broad diversity of students, but is fundamentally a very white space. Um, And to me, Mm -hmm. the word inclusion has a, has a dissonant note to me that, that doesn't still rhyme and maybe it's my own personal definition. So I will acknowledge that maybe everybody else hears the word inclusion in a different way, but inclusion has uh, rhymes with assimilation too strongly in my mind. And I need to create a definition where inclusion and assimilation are not the same thing. And in my mind, the way I hear inclusion used rings of assimilation in a way that I am deeply uncomfortable with. Um, that I would like to hear. I'd like to hear better definitions of inclusion that don't sound like a similar. Well, I mean, the way I think of inclusion is is not so much that as I think of, you know, we need to be more inclusive of people who are differently abled, people who are not neurotypical, people who are, you know, not what you would consider, I guess, I guess the typical student, right? Um, and so we we need to make our learning spaces more inclusive of those students than they already are. Mm. Right. I mean, and, and because let's face it, not all of our learning spaces are accommodating for say our neurodiverse populations, right. They're, they're not, Um, you know, in fact, the other day I had one kid in class because she was the only junior uh, on the day of the world history AP exam and, and all of my sophomores were taking that exam, my seniors were done, she was it. And so we started talking about what her experience as a dyslexic student was like and doing certain activities in class. And I said, you know, I'd really like to get your perspective on remodeling some of the things we do, because I'll be honest, I've never really thought about how these types of things would look to someone who is a learner like you. 
until I had you in class. Hmm. And so I had her go over a couple of activities with me. And I said, I really would value your feedback on this. And so she's like, yeah, you should do it this way and make it like this and change this font because my eye is drawn to this and not this. I mean, she had a bunch of, it was, it was stuff about transcription and translation. Hmm. You know, she says, oh yeah, this would drive, this drives me nuts. And it was an activity we didn't do, but one that I've done in the past. And and I said, you know, I really appreciate you giving me that feedback because I never thought about it from your perspective before. Mm. You know, so the more we can design learning spaces for students like her to be successful in, you know, and include more students like her when we do our instructional design, mm. um, you know, I think that to me, inclusion includes those types of things. It's not necessarily, you know, hey, you're from a different culture or whatever we want you to assimilate with what we have as, you know, what, what we've already established. No, I, to me, I don't see it that way. Mm. You know, I think the, the best definition yes. um, that I heard is a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. So when you feel like you belong mm-hmm. in that space and that space is made for you just as much as for anybody right. else, right. You feel welcome there. Like you're part of the community, right. not like you're othered. Yeah. Um, that's a wonderful feeling to mm-hmm. have. Yeah. And, and maybe and I that's, that's important. Yeah. Maybe I think maybe that's the thing that I, I want to hear. I want to hear inclusion defined as a students all feel included. I want to hear right. that that inclusion. We're including a broad diversity of, of decision makers. We're de- de- including a lot of uh, we're including a lot of perspectives in the design. We're including. But I don't. Right. I don't know that in the hand-waving, performative DEI work that is sometimes being done, inclusion is getting defined differently than assimilation. And so I think that some of the times I have a little bit of that record scratch when they say Mm -hmm. inclusion, the way I hear, when I hear inclusion, I'm looking for, am I hearing people being included as decision makers or am I hearing a, just a new form of assimilation? And I, to me, there's too much assimilation parity of inclusion in the language. So I, it's something that like, I, I, it's something I've been a little sensitive to because it was pointed out in, I don't remember what I read or saw or heard or is that somebody said that and they were like, I don't love this word inclusion because it, it does this. And as I started to be sensitive to it and again, learning other people's perspectives, hearing how other people learn, I was like, Oh yeah, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem to be all that wholly different than welcoming other people into my space. Um, I don't want it to be my space. I want it to be our space. You know, it needs to be as much your space as is my space. And, and as long as the inclusion Inclusion can sometimes sound like we're bringing you into my space. And as long as inclusion sounds like that, it's not inclusive. It's assimilation. And that's, uh, that's a, it's something that I, I, it's something I'm sensitive to. And again, this is a very, you know, going back to past episode, like the, uh, the vulnerability thing, (laughs) like I live in a white world. Like I am a white man. Like I, I, this is not something that is, on my forefront, it's not something that I like. I, nobody ever says that like I don't belong. <laughs> like I never go into a space and feel like it, I don't. I'm not included. Like it's all my space. Like uh, you know, the world was built for people who look like me. Um, so uh, I'm. I think I'm a little. Maybe I'm overly sensitive to it, but it wouldn't be wrong if people who look like me started getting overly sensitive to um, our use of language. So 
um, I love I love the fact that Lee that you're in that conversation because um, I know that you'll bring it you'll bring it real. Uh. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The last one we had what with you the kids and the principal, I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I could just I just sat and I listened and I because the kids had control of the conversation and I let them talk because they were the ones whose voices needed to be heard the loudest. Okay. And um, let's just say that. Um, my principal was made very uncomfortable by what they had to say, which meant to me they were communicating effectively yeah. <laughs> what they, what their concerns that, were. That's like that's that's really good that the principal was listening yes. and that the kids had the space yes. to speak. But at the same time, I think like it's the principal's responsibility to know what the needs of the students are. And you can't, not all kids can communicate what they need right. at that age. Right? Well, and, 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 and to be fair, this is his first year on our campus as the head principal. Oh. And so, mm. you know, he came into the job with the idea that he wanted to, like one of his, one of his goals is to, you know, improve the numbers of black and latino students taking advanced academics courses find out why is it that black and latino students are the ones who have you know more iss more referrals you know all of this how you know what can we do to change this you know how can we change this so he's actually he's actually been quite proactive in working toward you know trying to make things more equitable for everyone so like i said to be fair you know this is the first this his first year and, and you know, pandemic. he actually contacted these, he actually handpicked these students because he knew that they would not mince words. <laughs> he knew that they were going to be real with him. And, and so, and this was my first opportunity to see that in action, um, was, was sitting in, in that meeting, listening to what the kids had to say and then backing them up you know, to try and, and kind of put a finer point on it for my boss saying, look, <laughs> you know, these kids have a legit concern. Staff members also have these same concerns, um, you know, and just, you know, just watching him kind of respond to all of that. I think he was maybe not expecting to hear all of the things that he had heard in the way that he heard them because of the way that the students communicated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I applaud the kids. I really do because they were very, I think they were very brave to say what they said the way that they said it, um, you know, because they were afraid of being perceived as angry black men and women. Mm. And, and I said, well, <laughs> you know, this, you know, I don't think that you came across that way at all. You know, you had some very strong feelings about these things that you wanted to talk about, and he needed to hear them. You know, he needed to hear these things from you, you know, because otherwise, how else is he going to know? You know, he's not going to know unless somebody tells him. And so, you know, because he doesn't have the same perspective as you do. You know, he can't walk a mile in your shoes because he's a white man. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what it's like to be a black student. He doesn't know that. He's never going to know that. You know, and you're the, you have to provide him that perspective of what that's like, you know, to, yeah. to walk the halls of this school, you know, as you are, you have to tell him what it's like, yeah. you know, so I think they did a great job. The kids we have on that committee that are coming in next year are just as vocal. 
So I'm, I'm hopeful that there will be some actionable change that takes place. Um, in fact, I've got to contact my principal this week and say, so, hey, that survey that we did, <laughs> what data did we get? <laughs> what data did we get? And is there anything we can do, you know, about the data that we got? And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, my my change is nowhere near as as, uh, <laughs> as strong or as uh, as is impactful. But um, we've we've learned that I'm just gonna roll in with my weak sauce at the end of all of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but one of the things that's sort of been on my uh, my my front burners, so we got sort of two things that are going on, big things. And we got we have a lot of stuff. Um, not all of which I'm necessarily at liberty to like, sort of put out on a podcast that, you know, dozens and dozens of people listen to. Um, but um, <laughs> the fact is, is that we, we're in the process. Um, I've been uh, tasked with uh, coming up with sort of a new junior senior elective uh, for for science research. Um, we have a long history of students who have gone on to do Mass State Science Fair and um, and gone on to do ICEF and things like that. But by and large, um, that has been for a long time, literally students doing it on their own and getting help from my colleague, uh, Brian Dempsey. Some of them would take like a summer research course, either in school or outside school, and then would get a little bit of support in school. And then over the last couple of years, um, uh, uh, Brian Dempsey, who's uh, my colleague who teaches AP Biology and Honors Biology with me, and the head of our art department actually created a... Um, Explorations in STEAM course, which is an open elective that any student can take that allows students to generate data and then come up with visual representations um, as particularly as a intro course to the concept. So it's an interdisciplinary art science elective that students can take, but it's very much an interesting one. But one of the things that we don't have is sort of the, what would be the next step that you would do? So let's say you do that. It might set you up for our Mass State Science Fair, but it really doesn't cue you into taking that project to a next step, either an ISEF or a publication or something like that. And what we have is an inequitable system where students who have external support would access that and students who don't, you know, if they had, if they could pull themselves up by the bootstraps, they could do that. But we have students who may not have those sources outside um, and may want to explore. And so um, I am been tasked with coming up with a junior, senior sort of advanced science elective, research elective to bring that within the curriculum of this class and give them that sandbox to do independent research and just play. So I, I'm torn because I don't know what this looks like. Every advanced science research course I've seen is like, you'll do this and you'll enter this science fair and you'll do this. And like 90% of science is like messing up your materials and methods because nothing works. Um, and kind of like, I, I like almost want to call it like, like, like the biology sandbox or like the incubator or something like that. Mm -hmm. I haven't even come up with a name for what this course is. Um, I had jokingly called that we should call it um, science advanced research seminar, uh, which nobody caught that I was naming it SARS during the pandemic. And, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I did that totally tongue in cheek. And then I had to tell everyone that I was kidding because we can't actually call my elective SARS. I'm like, not this year, but um, <laughs> SARS 22 is what we're going to call it. Um, SARS 23. Uh, but nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody caught that I was saying that anyway. Uh, but uh, that is the course that I have been tasked with. So I have been uh, researching that and I've been uh, doing that along with, you know, helping to revise our science sequence at our high school. Um, we've been 
revising it to make it again, uh, looking at equity, looking at access, looking at um, how we unintentionally divide students into different levels and hopefully collapsing that so that students are less trapped and have more opportunity. And I have been part of that organization and we'll see how that all rushes out. This is all things that are happening over the next few years, but um, the, the research course, I have to come up with a definition of what that is. And gosh, I've been stymied heavily <laughs> as we've been going there. I've gotten a lot of information, but it, nothing quite rings through. I will have a I will have an epiphany at some point of what this should be called. Uh, it won't be SARS, uh, but I have to <laughs> I have to come up with something that is not a sarcastic answer to what should I call this. Um, but I want something that has that play, that has that like that idea of play. I want kids to play. Mm-hmm. I want I want that that idea of 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 science as play and exploration to be part of what I want it to be. Well, I think you just gave your class a name, Science as Play. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah, Science as Play. Um, I have a feeling I'd get a lot of drama kids. (laughs) 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 I'll bring our theater. theater. It would totally be STEAM. Our STEAM initiative would be like fully on board. uh, but science is play. I, I, I'll have to play that. I bet the words play, the words incubator, um, unfortunately. Mastery play. Ma- mastery play. <laughs> Again, I still think like we're going to be doing guys and dolls in year three. If we, if I call it, if I call it. <laughs> death of a salesman. <laughs> death of, <laughs> death of a cancer cell. <laughs> 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 But Arthur Miller, if you've never seen him, yeah, yeah, <laughs> waiting for my experiment to end. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, I, I am the, I am the wrong person to be given too much open space on and sarcasm. But um, yeah, fortunately, my department head appreciates my sense of humor. Um, to to the point where my wife has said, just because he thinks something I say is funny, does not make it funny. Because uh, <laughs> I can crack him up nobody's but he is the two of us are two peas in a pod when it comes to comedy so all right well let's move on to uh goals uh so my next question was bold goal setting um and again ryan in absentia i want to share his thoughts before we do it i had asked what is one aspect you want to improve upon your teaching and ryan said he wants to improve his ability to teach low achieving students um he feels like so much of his emphasis has been on honors classes high flyers that our low students get left behind he wants to build the same kind of relationships with them as he does with his high achieving students, um, which is a challenge. And so that is sort of his goal setting. That is something he wants to get better. Uh, Tanea, what are you what are you setting forward as your uh, something you want to improve as you're teaching as you move into a wholly new country and space of your teaching? Well, like when you mentioned that. Like maybe I'm one of the few people you know that would be willing to go to China after like a year like this. I um I have never like worked at a school and felt like that school was for me, mm. you know? Like I'm I'm always like the black woman at the school or um one of the few black people who work at the school and that and or even growing up, I've been, you know, one of the few black kids in the honors slash AP classes or whatever. So that's like been my experience my whole life. So I think I'm comfortable trying something new because it's not, I'm still going to 
be in the same position in China as I am in the United States. It's not going to feel that different mm. to me. Um, and so that idea of having to like fit in um, in a in a new environment that's not that foreign to me. And so part of that, the requirement for my new school will be that I have a deep understanding of project-based learning and I don't want to take a job and then not take that really um, seriously. So um, I already, uh, Avenues um, in Sao Paulo, they had a conference on Saturday that they were hosting and so I already, like, in between bathing and driving to work and going to graduation and my son's basketball game, I attended three <laughs> sessions. So I'm trying to get, like, a feel for what, for what like, project-based learning or mastery learning, um, what that looks like. Um, and then, obviously, we're going to get professional development when we go there. Um, and hopefully, between what I read and, you know, what I um, – professional development I have, I'll, I'll – and even like I think the HHMI program is going to help me a lot too. I think I'll hopefully be able to grasp it. And the idea is that I can help students create like meaningful projects, right, without going through all the content, but just giving them like enough like background that they can like more independently explore an idea and create something on their own that eventually they're going to end up having to like present to the community or some aspect mm -hmm. of the community. Um, so it's going to be a lot different from what I'm currently doing, but I think I, like in my head, I think I can visualize what it looks like. Um, like I think I've, I have a feel for what that might be like, even though I don't have all the little pieces to the puzzle yeah. yet. Like I, I, I think I'll grow into it. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, and there's, I think some of those same issues with the elective I'm building is, is very much in that same space. Like how much how much do you show them <laughs> like like how much do you model versus how much do you like at what depth do you go into before you turn over the keys and say now build something how much scaffolding do you need to provide them before they're ready to build something because if you don't provide any scaffold and just like go do stuff there's it'll be chaos so you have to have some some right. scaffolding in there and and I think that from a traditional, you know, sort of not to be too dogmatic about it, but it's sort of a traditional Western or U.S. based education. We are scaffolding to death like it is all about control, teacher control of all the curriculum. And this is a very different view. But finding the, the level between chaos and full teacher control is a, um, something you'll just learn. Uh, and again, excited to hear about how that, yeah. that goes. All right, Lee, what are what are you one is what is one aspect of your teaching you want to improve upon as we move forward? So, and this is not just a sole goal of mine, but I mean, I guess well, I have two different goals really. Um, one is to go to a more um, holistic portfolio-based type of assessment with my students. Um, we gave it a trial run in our AP classes this spring. Uh, with the ecology unit and got a lot of really favorable feedback from kids. Mm -hmm. um, we're as a team still trying to figure out what this is going to look like if we do it consistently throughout the year. 
Um, but I know already I'm going to try it with my IB students because the great thing about being the singleton <laughs> teacher is that I can do whatever I want, um, which is nice. And now that I've got a new assessment structure for that course, because the IB changes its curriculum pretty much every six or seven years, yep. um, which is both good and bad. Uh, but the, the assessment has, has changed significantly um, from what it was previously. Uh, it used to be a three paper test. Now it's a two paper test. Um, and what we used to have were called curriculum options are now no longer options. They are now embedded within the curriculum. And so um, once I figure out what that whole curriculum looks like, then I can know a little bit better what my portfolio assessment is going to look like. Um, so I'm really excited to try that. Um, I'm trying to move toward Paul's, Paul Strode's kind of pointless classroom in a way. Um, but I'm also trying to combine elements of what Johanna Brown, who is a chemistry teacher, an AP Chem and AP Computer Science teacher does with her kids. Um, in going gradeless is is what she does, or she calls it ungrading. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm really going to try to work hard to combine those two things because I think that the the philosophies are similar behind both both approaches. Um, and so I want to try that with that group of kids since they're the only ones that I have, and it's just me. <laughs> and so um, I want to try that with them before I I you know, approach my team and say, hey, so let's try this with every kid who takes AP Bio. Um, but the thing that I, my team and I are going to work on for this next year, at least for our AP students, is that, as I said in the show notes, butts are going to be in seats in terms of enrollment, but not during class. We're going to get them up. They're walking around. They're moving, you know, because this year we sat a whole lot um, by default because we had to teach to kids in the room and kids online. And so I was tethered to a machine every day, which was awful. <laughs> and, you know, we've already designed, you know, or have the beginnings of designs for a lot of station activities that combine, you know, a lot of active learning, um, card sorts, you know, small experiments. You know, we were talking about the, the uh, biochemistry unit, which is our first one coming back. And I've got this idea kicking around in my head of a station where we explore banana carbs. And then at another station, we explore lipids. You know, there was uh, somebody had posted a, a thing in the Facebook group, the, the AP Bio Facebook group about plant lipids and adaptations for different uh, climates. Mm -hmm. And so I want to build that in as a, a part of that station's activity. And then you know, a proteins activity where we either scramble, you're not scramble eggs, but cook a fried egg or boil an egg, you know, to talk about denaturing and, you know, tie that to protein structure somehow, you know. And so, you know, I'm thinking of all these different wild and wacky things that we can do at stations instead of just, okay, kids, we're going to do pattern matching. Like we're going to include that with, um, you know, incorporate that with it, but not make that the sole thing. You know, for our first unit, when we come back, we're doing biochem, right? And so, you know, my team, my teammate and I were talking about having, you know, these like station activity where the kids get to explore the four different macromolecules, right? Like, so we're going to incorporate the banana carbs activity that Bob Kuhn has with a plant lipids and adaptations, you know, activity that I think it was Valerie Pierce was the one who shared that out. 
in the AP Bio Facebook group mm-hmm. with, you know, my teammate was like, well, we could do the meat lab that we do, you know, and, and, and you're familiar with that one, right? Mm-hmm. The one that I do where we cook the different meats with the fat contents and the kids have to determine which meat is the healthiest. It's a sort of a PBL type activity that we do where we give them three different. I don't think I've, I don't yeah, think I've seen it's it. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. The room smells really yeah. bad afterwards. I won't lie <laughs> <laughs> because they're cooking meat. They're boiling these chunks of meat, these ground. Oh, boiling. Of yeah. Cheese. They're, no, you, it, it stinks. I, whoa, whoa. You, you are, you are uh, Latina, not, not uh, Irish. You should not be boiling <laughs> I know, meat. I know. <laughs> but to be fair, albondigas, I mean, Hey, I mean, I could just call it the albondigas lab. <laughs> Minus the rice, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, we, they boil meat, they skim off the fat, you know, and, and all of this. I mean, it's actually a really fun lab and, and then, you know, a station where they cook okay. an egg so they can learn about denaturing and all of this other kind of stuff. Cause we really want to make the science more, not that the science isn't fun, but we want to make it more, I guess, real to them. But also we want them up. We want yeah. them about. We want them talking. We want them chatting. Because quite frankly, I missed the banter. I missed the talking. I missed all of that. You know, I missed hearing kids having conversations with each other about, well, maybe it's this. And no, no, no. She told us about this. And and maybe it's this because I know this from what I saw in the AP Daily. And I know this from what I read in the book and, you know, or whatever, or what I saw mm-hmm. online. I missed that this year. I mean, it just killed me every day to come into a room where it was just silent. And, you know, because one of my favorite things is just to hear kids talking about science. Like this was the only year I think that I actually missed not telling kids, Hey, I need y'all to be quiet (laughs) because, because every day they were quiet. (laughs) And so, you know, I missed all of that stuff. And so I can't wait to hear all that stuff again. And I think that, you know, having our kids up and about and having to collaborate with each other and do gallery walks with each other, you know, that's going to help bring that back to my room. And so yeah. that's one of the things that I'm going to be working on this year. In fact, one of the things my one of my teammates and I were talking about is, um, you know, designing sort of a, a walking, talking, free response activity. Um, we haven't really fleshed that out, but I said, hey, if we get this down the way we want to, we could totally write this up as a proposal for NABT. <laughs> so, so yeah. be on the lookout for <laughs> the walking, talking FRQ <laughs> in the future. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's it, you, as you're talking, it reminded me. So I to finish the year. So we have a, um, a nature trail on our campus. In fact, we have a pretty large campus. It had there, our main campus where our high school is on has our high school, our, junior high, middle school, I guess it's called middle school now, mm-hmm. and a double elementary school. Um, they've actually started building double elementary schools that are what were two separate elementary schools, but then share like cafeteria, gym, auditorium as shared space. So it's you could actually build like a what were two separate elementary schools in different spaces and bring them into a single location and it's much cheaper. So it's going to be that once they're done doing the next round, we're going to have, we're going to go from having four elementary schools that were in four different places to four elementary schools that are really parts of two buildings, but they have their own teachers and identities and stuff like that. But so our campus has two elementary schools, our central office, our junior high, middle school, and our high school are all there. Plus all our athletic fields, plus a nature trail, plus a pond. Like it's, it's, it's a pretty large 
space. And so what we've been doing is an outdoor, we used to do a honors biology curriculum project where kids would go and explore nature trails um, in town because we have a pretty extensive nature trail part of town with lots of conservation land. And we basically took that and we built a project that was similar, but on campus. And so we're coming back in and I was talking to a couple of girls that we were that were coming back in on a long walk back from the field um, at Santa class, and uh, uh, one of the girls was talking to me about the year and was talking about like stuff that we lost this year, stuff that we didn't do. And I was describing some of the labs and I was some of the labs that we didn't do. And she said to me, oh, I think you'd be a really fun teacher to have lab with. And I was like, it was both like sad and such a nice compliment. Like it was like, yeah, you took a whole year of biology with me and we did like two labs. Like, you know, like we just, you did not have an authentic honors biology experience. You're going to do one project and two labs and that's what your year of biology was. And that's, it's, it's sad, but it, you know, it was a nice compliment and hopefully this kid takes AP biology in two years and actually gets to learn how labs really run. Cause that's where I really take the shackles off. But the, that sort of goes along the lines of what I'm really hoping changes as I work in the curriculum. We have a very strong gatekeeping culture in our school, particularly for the AP courses. And I know that I benefit from the, well, I am not somebody who's an active gatekeeper. I'm somebody who's like, ah, have the kids sign up, have the kids sign up. I, I am not like that. I also know that my curriculum is reflective of that gatekeeping culture, meaning I don't get students who aren't former honors biology. On, like the number of students I get in my, my AP class, 85% of them took honors biology and honors chemistry before they took AP biology. A handful of them took honors biology and AE chemistry, our secondary level chemistry, before they take AP biology. And every once in a while, I have a kid who didn't take those courses, meaning they didn't take, they took a level other than honors biology as their first biology course. I can remember one student who took our third level of biology who took AP biology. And it wasn't my student. I just happened to know the kid and he took it with my colleague. So we have such a strong culture that the culture of our school gatekeeps. I don't have to gatekeep. Other teachers already do it and the culture does it. And I'm hoping that by some of the research sequencing work we're doing and the curriculum design work we're doing, we will make it so that we have to have a more inclusive curriculum. Because the fact is, is that if you say I'm an inclusive teacher, but you never have students that you never have to be like, you never have to have, you don't have a diverse set of learners coming into your room. Like, you just have this group who's already got the same skill set that come in that don't have a that have a common group of struggles. You don't really have to diversify your curriculum very much, right? Like, and so I know that there are holes in our curriculum, and I'm trying to we're trying to address the the scaffolds necessary for when the students how to support a student who may have come in and was an English language learner who didn't take honors biology because they were you know a second year in the school ELL and they didn't access that, but they have a really deep interest in medicine or biology and they want to go on to college and they would love to take access to AP biology. That student doesn't currently take AP biology in our school. Like that is not a student who has a pathway to AP biology in our school. And it is a, I think it is a stain on us as a, a group of educators that, that we do not have those students taking AP biology. Um, and I, I'm working on some of those structures. And so that is a goal of mine is that we will hopefully both change the pathways 
to lower the hurdles and lower the barriers and the gatekeeping, but also it needs to change the hearts and minds of my colleagues. I need to have it so that the rest of the educators understand that we want more people in there. And fortunately, I'm going to be in a place where I'm going to be able to communicate some of those ideas in a working group this summer and through next year that hopefully we can, we can, we can do that. All right. So on to the, yeah, that's, it is. I'm excited about that. Okay. So on to the both uh, very exciting and super awkward conversation. So if we were like a really uh, like good podcast where we had great communication, which by the way, we, we do communicate all the time when we're not there. But if we like had like, if we really were like very mindful of how the podcast, I would ask this next question and I would understand everybody's answers in here. But um, I, the, here's the elephant in the room. Um, this year has been tough as Ryan has now missed our last four episodes uh, because of conflict um, in here. Uh, and today is going to China. So uh, we'll be 12 hours difference in there. So uh, we acknowledge that this podcast that's worked through the last year, um, which has been, I think we have all enjoyed it. Uh, it cannot continue in this grouping like this, this collection, unfortunately, while I would love to keep the same grouping in, we barely held this grouping together through this, this, this last year. And it was, it was a struggle to get us in as much as we could get there. So the question is, what should life of the school podcast look like in the future? Should we continue? Um, if so, in what form? And, and unfortunately, you know, Ryan, again, not here, he, 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 he complimented me, which I don't know that we need to go into that, but but he likes the panel type discussions and thinks that it should be continued. He also thinks that having students or having teachers who work um, with at-risk students, uh, with students who have IEPs, um, who thinks a lot about sort of diversity of learning, um, really would add into that. So if the panel could include teachers who work with students who uh, who work with diverse learners, maybe less of an AP skew, which I definitely think our panel this year skewed AP heavy, um, that maybe as a panel, if we continue, looks to bring in different types of educators who maybe work with students who aren't necessarily all heading on to AP or or maybe wouldn't traditionally be in AP, maybe a better way to think about that. All right, Tanea, how about you? Um, obviously, I'm, I'm totally acknowledging that you're going to be teaching summer school in June and then packing in July. So I think this is our swan song for you. I don't I don't know that we're getting you on again after this. Um, probably not, at least not for a regular episode, maybe a, a special one off. Uh, you keep threatening to come back for like a panel, live panel at NABT some year, which would be a heck of a would be a heck of a road trip for you if you're in China. But um, but what do you think about the podcast? Should we continue? What should be the form? What What are you thinking? I like. I just have to echo that you. Your I think your podcast is amazing. <laughs> I've enjoyed um, being a part of it. It's been a wonderful experience for me, um, and I obviously would like to see it continue. Even though I'm I'm going to move and be in China. Um, I think interviewing uh, students and like just kids from all over. Um, all over the United States, from different backgrounds, maybe even kids from different countries, um, just to see what their experiences are, right? Like the good and the bad. Uh, <laughs> there have been some, um, there are absolutely many, many amazing teachers out there. And for to hear how they impact students, I think is really important because teachers get a really bad rap sometimes and it's really pisses me off because um, teachers work really hard. So that would be great if we could hear the good and the bad from kids directly and hear what kids want and what their experiences are um, and, you know, where they end up and things like that based on the, like, what path they take. I think that would just be beautiful. 
Uh, I also think it would be really, really interesting to interview some schools that are just doing things differently. Um, it seems right now there's like this backlash, uh, at least in Arizona, where like, oh, you teachers can't talk about anything that's controversial or you can't talk about you can't talk about racism or you can't talk about like people are really resisting any kind of change. But I think change is necessary for us as a country to move forward and be competitive in this world because the world's changing. So if we could interview schools like, um, you know, like high school, uh, high school high in San Diego, how do they do things? Or just if you hear about schools that are doing things a little bit differently, or kids that are having schools where they're having kids that are having high amounts of success and what are they doing? I think that would be really interesting too. Um, anything that can be inspirational though, at the end of the day, I think um, you're going to impact somebody and you know somebody in some positive way so i don't really think you're gonna go wrong in your choice all right well it's gonna be sad not having you as part of that panel because i think you're the one who's brought a lot of that different perspective um both from a experience as a learner and experience as a teacher because you've had both diversity of experiences of different places that you learned and you've taught in again, as you're going to China again <laughs> for a second time, you've taught in a lot of different places. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, as I said, I'm sad to hear, I I'm excited for you as a friend and I'm excited for you as an educator because I know what's great there, but the, like, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to, to get somebody who is as amazing as you to commit to be on the panel. And maybe the answer is not to get somebody to commit, but maybe go back to something that is a little bit more, bring in a different group, you know, on a regular basis or rotate and maybe a less of a commitment um, and and have that diversity uh, come in in little bits and bobs as we go. Um, gosh, booking students, ugh, it gives me a headache, but I like the idea. I like the idea. I like the idea. I don't like the 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 mental gymnastics that the, I have, the execution of that makes me think of. Uh, all right, Lee, how about you? What are your thoughts? <laughs> So I think the panel discussion was really a good way to go. Um, that way you're getting perspectives from different people um, each week. Well, the same four people, but still, you're not just hearing, you know, two different voices. You're hearing four different voices from that, that each person has drastically different experiences, both life experiences and, you know, teaching experiences. Um, so I think that that was a really a smart way to to transition from you know, just having a single guest every week. Um, I think that if you have, you know, more educators who do have, you know, say, for example, SPED experience, like extensive SPED experience, like what does a science class for, excuse me, you know, students who like, for for example, at my campus, um, they call them functional academics. What, what does that look like? And how can we make that you know, be an engaging science experience for those students. Um, what does that look like? How is it done? Um, students, you know, p teachers who have extensive experience teaching EL students, you know, because I've, I've, it's been years since I had a class that was just all EL students. Mm. In fact, because I teach exclusively upper level coursework, the number of EL students I have every year is very low. Um, and I will say that some of the best, some of the best teaching I did was with my, we called them sheltered classes back then, mm -hmm. um, was with my sheltered biology classes. Um, but that was ages ago, <laughs> you know, so it'd be nice to, to have that perspective again, 
you know, and what does that look like now? Because certainly that teaching looks a little bit different now than it did, say, 10 years ago, I think was the last time I did it. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, Tanea has a good point. Asking students what they, you know, what they think, you know, it, it would be great to hear from kids, you know, what do you want your teachers to be like? What do you think is, you know, makes a good science experience, you know, science learning experience? I'd be... And I would be interested to see what kids have to say because I have a feeling they're going to say things that we are not expecting yeah. <laughs> to hear, you know, and, and they are honest to a fault. Um, but, you know, they're the, they're the people we work with most closely every day and they're the ones we need to be hearing from the most often. And so I think that if you had, if you could get together like a student panel, you know, that would be awesome, you know, to have them speak, you know, maybe, maybe not every week, but you know, maybe once every couple months or something like that, because I know chasing down kids for <laughs> schedules and stuff is really difficult. Um, as somebody who had to do that for CAS at my school, yeah, <laughs> try to try to schedule interviews for 61 students in two weeks. That was hard. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think that that would be, that would be really great. And if we could maybe not have it lean so heavily AP, mm. you know, that way that the audience feels more included in that teaching experience, you know, because let's face it, to teach AP is, is a relatively small number of teachers nationwide compared to the number of teachers that just teach general biology, right? There's way more of those teachers out there than there are those of us who teach the upper level coursework. Hmm. And those are the teachers, I think, that would be, um, you know, the ones that we should hear from, I think, more often. You know, what are they doing that works really well? What are they doing that's interesting, that's different, that's not going back to the way things were in the before times? Because <laughs> let's face it, what we did in the before times didn't always work. Yeah. And as much as I think people are anxious to get back to what things were like pre-COVID, there are some things that we need to stop doing. <laughs> there are some things that, that we absolutely need never to do again. Um, or, and there are some things that we need to really reconsider doing ever again, because were they really that beneficial for kids anyway? Yeah. You know, were they, were they that good? Come on, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there are a few things I can think of off the top of my head, but that would be a whole other podcast. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I think that for me, this, this conversation, and this has been an ongoing conversation we've been having as a group and, um, you know, knowing that Ryan was changing schools and it's been uh, challenging for him to schedule this year and he's going to be even more busy, I think, next year as he makes that shift. And and as, as we've said, Tanea going on and Lee, who does 10 million things, and I would love to pin to Lee down to make say like Lee's going to be with us every month. Um, it has been a huge commitment from this group. Um, and so uh, I will I am going to say that uh, this podcast is uh, to be determined. And um, this is our second June episode we have now looped past five years uh, 121 episodes and so um th there i have put out an episode the first and third monday of every month for five years uh, i've never missed wow. i've never missed an episode i've never had a delay 
it's ha- uh, it's happened every you are amazing i don't know how you awesome. did that i am i am a- super awesome i am an anal retentive uh rule follower and particularly if i if and, and particularly if i make a rule i am follow. you also realize that for the past like decade i have never run less than 100 miles in a single month um for for over a decade like i run 100 miles every month i get the flu that's i get the flu amazing. in february i oh am looking God. at my times i'm looking at my at my no they're all really fast because i'm an old slow dude at this point but um i i get my miles in every month and if i'm starting to get hurt i back off my injuries because i can't miss that i'm like i have little quirky things about me that if i set rules for myself like these are things that you're going to do to be successful i am somebody who follows them probably to my own deficit but if i set a schedule i was going to nail that schedule and for so for five years i've done that but i am going to give myself permission in july i'll put some stuff out um, but uh, we're going to do a little bit of a summer vacation. We're going to do a little bit of retool. Maybe I'm going to record some one-off episodes with some educators who I think would be cool to get in and, and drop some of those in. I might do like a little mini episode. Maybe maybe Lee and I will jump together and do like a 20-minute episode. Nobody believes that Lee and I could talk for 20, only 20 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it'd ever be 20 minutes. No. But, <laughs> lies, all lies. But, but, <laughs> but maybe Lee and I will get together for a, a mini episode during the summer where it's not very structured and it's just like a, a catch up or I'd be totally down. Yeah, for maybe that. I'll do a. I would be totally a down revisit with some old folks that I've had on before. Uh, but expect maybe a, a you know maybe not four full episodes July and August uh, as we retool. But uh, definitely looking to to come some ideas. I've gotten some ideas. But here's the other call: if you are a listener and if you are now an hour into this episode and you would love to be part of this podcast or you know somebody who'd be perfect for the podcast, let me know. So with that said, please if you have feedback at life of the school um, on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, DM me or you can tweet at me. You can go to life of the school um, org. Uh, you can find my email posted there. You can also get show notes. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash lots, get early releases of episodes, but also show notes there. Contact me through that. You can also subscribe to life school on your podcast player of choice for whatever our next adventure is. I'd also like to tell you that music on this and every episode is provided by X magicians and Jake Jenkins. Uh, and again, you follow us on Twitter at life of the school. So uh, thanks everybody for joining you, uh, joining us. And we'll see you. We'll see you some form in July.